Action Park Media. All right, welcome to Ramble On, the official podcast of the unofficial television show. But we have real writers today, Ted. I, uh, I know. I, I'm feeling very, very inferior. I tried to explain this to you, that what I do, it's not really writing. It's more speaking on paper. But real writers actually sit down... To research, write outlines. books, outlines. They're actually intelligent people. And Jeff Perlman. Story documents. Well, honestly, Jeff, you've been one of my favorites for a long time. You're always great on TV when I've seen you on ESPN talking about stuff. And uh, I'm excited to have you. We met on Twitter, which is uh, the new world. And yeah. what, what's going on? We've been dating for three years exactly. now. Exactly. Wait, I heard you mention something recently on your podcast. And I thought, I think you read that in my book. It was about Walter Payton having his wife in the first row. Absolutely. And I was like, that's, yes, he read sweetness. Yes, and no one believed me. Then they were talking wait, about. Wait, it. what so, was it? What was the story? Uh, uh, he's a Chicago. I'm guy. a Chicago. Oh, okay. sure, not for you. Tell you. At um, Walter Payton's Hall of Fame induction ceremony, his wife was in row one. His mistress, longtime girlfriend, was in row three. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, the whole week Walter Payton is super stressed, and everyone thinks he's stressed because it's a Hall of Fame. He's stressed because he has these two people. Can't have them meet. <laughs> he has them on opposite sides of the hotel, and. Right before the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, Walter Payton's wife, Connie, um, who's a really good person, actually, goes to Walter's assistant and says, I want to meet her. And So after, they're, they're aware of each other? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but Walter didn't know that his wife was aware of the mistress and she was there. <laughs> so they meet in the hotel, and Connie says, um, you can have him. And, oh. and what happened? They stayed. So Walter and Connie stayed together. It was kind of an illusionary. They didn't live together at that point. Yeah. It was an illusionary marriage. He had an image, and she it was fine. But, um, yeah, he was dating this woman for so years. Walter Payton, one of the great running backs in the history of the NFL, who Sweetness was his nickname and was considered one of the great guys. And yeah. and I read your book several years ago, but what what's the takeaway at the end of it? Was he a great guy or not? Yeah, I think the takeaway that I kind of find with most people I write about is we're all flawed. And if you wrote a book about me or I wrote a book about you or we, you know, like. Well, I'm clearly flawed. Right. I mean, very flawed. I actually, I'm going to write a <laughs> book find about nothing you. It's Please do. Flawed. Um, <laughs> we're all flawed and we all have our things. You know, I think Walter Payton was a really good guy who was almost haunted by this image of being a great guy and felt that he had to live up to it and always live up to it in this image. And toward the end of his life, uh, he was writing letters threatening suicide. He was very depressed. He was supposed to. Um, he was supposed to be the front guy for the expansion effort in St. Louis to get a football team, but they gave it to Jacksonville and Carolina instead. Devastated him. And I think if they, I don't know for sure, but my very educated guess would be is if they had the technology then and they were studying brains, I think CTE. Would I was be. about to ask because yeah. I mean this oh, clearly. Oh, you think CTE was I going? Do. Yeah. I do. This clearly is affecting. Lots wow. and lots of people, and you're seeing all these football players doing some crazy stuff. And again, I don't know how you you weigh in whether you can. It's an excuse or not. I, I don't know what to say, but it's clearly causing problems that is leading to a lot of domestic abuse amongst athletes and early death. Walter died at what? I mean, he had cancer, but what? Yeah. Are, but yeah, well, it's interesting because he had bio duct cancer, and um, he, they were popping like on the on the plane when they would fly the Bears back then. A guy would walk through the aisle with a huge barrel of painkillers. And you would just reach your hand like in. Like Tic Tacs. Like Tic Tac. Tic, yeah, Tic Tacs. And you would just I was going to say like Tic Tacs. Yeah, I was going to say that too because <laughs> they're so social media. Um, so like what was the impact of that, of all the painkillers he took? What was the impact of the hits to the head? It's just 
Football well, is I thought unnatural. It, I thought it was liver, wasn't it? Liver? It started as a liver, and it became bile duct yeah, cancer. Yeah. Yes, yeah, but he's saying, did the drugs, because of all the injuries, well, cause uh, that I mean, cancer? For sure, my guess is you can't go through that and have it not. You know, like, they, they warn you not to take too many Tylenols in one sitting. Like, how can you eat just two painkillers every day of your life to, to stay alive? So you got, Jeff, you got Bo Jackson books coming out in a month. Yeah. Which... Uh, Bo is one of my favorite athletes. Mm. He's one of those guys that we all dream, Everybody. like, we wish we could be. Yeah. Is it positive portrayal? I mean, oh, yeah. Does he come off great? I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I freaking love Bo Jackson. Is he still living in Chicago? Yeah, he lives outside Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think he's the greatest athlete of all time. I don't even see an argument against him being the greatest athlete of all time. I think he's so ridiculously above everyone else. And I kind of was motivated just because I feel like kids don't... Like, my kids knew who Bo Jackson was because they know the name Bo knows, but that's... So I just, you know, I like bringing athletes to life. And am I wrong? Did his career end because of a slide into second base? Is that what? You are wrong. His career hip. ended because of a, well, his football career ended because of a playoff game against the Bengals when his hip was pulled out of the socket. And then he came back and played baseball. He ripped his own hip out of socket. He, well, he was running forward. He was so strong. Like four guys were trying to tackle him. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So he, what actually happened, though? His hip was literally came out of his He was moving forward. You can look it up on YouTube. It's kind of remarkable. There's a linebacker for the Bengals named Kevin Walker. He comes in for the tackle. He's basically holding on for life to Bo Jackson's leg. And Bo Jackson is so strong running forward, he pulled the hip from the socket. Oh. Yeah, and, he was um, like, yeah, you keep it. <laughs> yeah. And, it, it was, it's, and, and the amazing thing is he played th- basically three more seasons of Major League Baseball, two of them with it, one of them. Two of them with an artificial hip. It's such a shame that, that he got hurt because yeah. I, I don't think it would be a dispute at all who's the greatest athlete of all time if he was. I don't think it is both. now. Yeah, probably not. I don't think it is now. Probably not. So, did you actually interview Bo? I know some of your books you get the subject, some you don't. Did you talk to Bo or no? All right. So, I talked to Bo for about 40 minutes um, early on. I basically, what I do is I, I call someone and, um, and, um, well, I sent him my book. I sent him a bunch of my books in a letter and said, I would love to talk to you, blah, 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 blah. And he actually called me back. He was very nice. He basically said, like, I don't want to work on a book. I don't mind that you're doing it, um, but it doesn't interest me. And I said, okay. And I just, you know, you go and you research. Because I, I, this may sound dumb and corny and maybe even self-serving, but I feel like uh, you become like a sports historian. And I think Bo Jackson is an important, important part of sports history. One hundred percent. And I think the things that you've done, you know, I I did a thirty for thirty on the Knicks based on a book, and sure. and I you did uh, the Mets book. Oh um, uh, yeah. And I want I I think I reached out to you then because I wanted to figure out a thirty for thirty, which someone did anyway without. It was me, good. It was it was great, yeah. and the book was great, and that story, you know, I mean, that team was unbelievable. The '86 Mets. Uh, you guys are all Mets guys, right? Like I feel like with Entourage, a lot of you guys are Mets guys. Right? I'm a Yankees guy. Collins a Yankees guy. Dylan's a Mets guy. But I've never been anti-Mets, and you know, uh, in the fair weather fan respect, I was a freshman at Tulane when the '86 Mets were playing, and I was rooting hard for them. I was watching with a bunch of my best friends when the Buckner thing happened, which I still don't blame Buckner. I, I don't know why he had to take. You should have been. First of all, he shouldn't have been in the field. Never should have been in the field because they always put Dave Stapleton in late games because yep. he wasn't healthy. Number two, if he feels that cleanly, Mookie Wilson beats it out. I think almost certainly. And I just like, it just sucks. Like, what about Chiraldi and Stanley though? Oh. Nobody talks about them at all. Like they had no blame in this. If you you're know? gonna go blame in order, you go McNamara, big one. I mean, he really blew that game. Uh, you go Chiraldi two, Buckner three, Stanley four. Stanley was kind of put into a thankless situation. I did he throw? He did throw the wild pitch to Mookie. Yeah, but um, 
Well, it's, it's a great book, and the 86 Mets were some of the best baseball players of all time who all, for the most part, and I've gotten to meet Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, I mean, are, are sadly some of the greats that, that wasted a lot of their talent. So did you come away, like, feeling empathy for them? or well, It was a weird book to write. So that was my first book. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. I went to spring training. I didn't get Strawberry or Gooden. One was in prison. One refused to talk. I interviewed almost everyone else on those teams. Um, there were guys I loved, like lo- like I love Mookie Wilson. He's just the nicest human being on the planet and a great guy. Um, I love Gary Carter. I thought what was really interesting is Gary Carter he was hated, hated, and he was he was the guy doing everything right. You know, he was like the guy he lived healthy, took care of his body. He was way ahead of his time and died of cancer early. If you would have pulled the Mets back then and said, which of these guys is going to die for? Who Which who in this team? And you have a room with Dykstra, Backman, <laughs> Strawberry, Gooden, Gooden, Hernandez, who had cocaine issues. Gary Carter would have been last every time. So sad. It sucks. And yeah. and Dykstra, oh. was he as crazy back then as he is seemingly today? I have a great Dykstra story. Can I share it with you? Yeah, sure. absolutely. Lenny Dykstra. So anyone, if you don't know who that is, if we have a young crowd... Just Google some of his latest antics and whatever. So go ahead. All right. There's a true Lenny Dykstra story. A couple of years ago, so he never liked the book. In fact, I was supposed to appear on the best damn sports show to date myself when that book came out. And it was going to be with Dykstra and Ron Darling. And I flew out to LA from New York. It was a big deal. I'm a young journalist, first book. And um, I show up and the producer says, yeah, Lenny's not coming. He hates the book. (laughs) And I'm thinking, crap, this sucks. And then I see Ron Darling and he goes, Jeff, you nailed it. You nailed it. And I felt better about myself. So fast forward, every few years, Dykstra says something negative about the book. (laughs) So maybe two years ago, two or three years ago, I'm on Twitter, and Dykstra's slamming the book. (laughs) And I wrote back. When did you write the book, by the way? It came out in 03. It's been a while. Here we are, almost 20 years later, and he's still slamming the book. Every once in a while, while he just has a wild hair up his ass. Yeah. I mean, I guess in in his defense, every now and then I'll write something about Dykstra. You know, like, (laughs) to bring it up. Yeah. But um, so. He writes something about the book. I responded something, nothing big. My wife is a, she donated a kidney to a stranger, is a social worker, right? Is a pure good person. He finds a picture of my wife online, posts it on Twitter and writes, let's rate Jeff Perlman's wife's hotness on a scale of one to 10. I'm like livid beyond belief. My wife actually was flying when that tweet went up. She gets off the plane and she's confused why David Cohn is following her on Twitter. <laughs> it's a true story. David Cohn, great <laughs> right. Mets and Yankees yeah. picture. So um, I wrote Dykstra and I said, um, I DM'd him. I wrote, look, man, I get you can take any shots at me, but that's really not cool. My, I said, my wife literally just donated a kidney and blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, man, I just wanted to see if you defend your wife. That's cool of you. Okay, I'll take it down. Now, here's the crazy thing. You know Cameo? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought it would be funny. We have this kind of sense of humor. I ordered my wife a Lenny Dykstra cameo with him saying, like, hey, you're like an eight. You know, it's good. You know, whatever. <laughs> Dykstra does the cameo. And I DM him that day. He did it immediately. But he has no idea that it's for, for you. He does. Oh, he does. Well, he certainly knows who I am. And I put, it's Jeff Perlman, blah, 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 blah. Like, he, he's been responding to me on Twitter. So he's not connecting the dots. Yeah, well, he's not, you know, all there. He does the cameo. Hey, blah, 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 blah. I DM him and I thank him for doing the cameo. He writes back, which cameo are you talking about? <laughs> and I realized something. I don't think he's running his Twitter account. <laughs> like I think he's just like he's hired someone to make him sound insane or crazy or something because there's no way he wouldn't know that I just don't think he I don't think he runs his own Twitter account. 
So, I mean, first of all, the idea of someone going after somebody's wife, yeah. you know, which I, I, Jeff, Jeff is very political. I, I, I can't hold my tongue sometimes, but I don't want to get involved. But like with Trump, I still am amazed that Trump went after Cruz's wife and he still kisses this guy's ass. But whatever. Yeah. I, I don't want to talk. I politics. I don't want to talk politics. <laughs> but what is your thought? Lenny Dykstra, for, again, you got to look him up if you don't know who we're talking about, because he is one of a kind. And the, yeah, a fascinating character. He's but was a he's clearly insane now, mentally ill. Yeah. Was he then on the 86 Mets when he was what everybody's favorite player back then? You know, not not necessarily in the locker room, but the fans loved him. So yeah. what what is wrong with this guy? And was it that bad then? He was he was always like a few, you know, a few bricks shy of a load. You yeah. know, like there was some there were things off with him. Like there's a story in the book when he uh, they're in a there a bunch of guys were playing golf. And some priests come into the golf clubhouse, and Dykstra says to his teammates, watch this. And he lifts his leg and farts in front of the priest. <laughs> like, there's always something off of him. What so a degenerate. Stupid. It's so fucking stupid. You know, but, like, it's one thing when you're 24 and, like, your first time in New York and you're playing for the Mets. Okay, ha-ha, fart joke. Something has gone off the rails with yeah, him. Yeah, it, it, it seems that way. So, Jeff, how do you – I mean, you decide you want to write about the New York Mets, this, you know, almost – legendary team that was supposed to win five titles minimum. Yeah. You've never written a book. How, how do you get access? And why, I know you were writing for Newsday and stuff, but what? why were they giving you access? And why was nobody else writing that book, by the way? But, I don't know why no one's ever yeah. written a book. In fact, I remember working on it, sitting at a table at Mets Spring Training, and a bunch of the newspaper writers, the New York newspaper writers, had caught wind that I was working on the book. And one of them said, they didn't know I was sitting there. And they're like, did you hear this guy, Jeff Perlman? He shouldn't be writing this book. What right does he have to write this book? And I remember thinking, you know, F you guys. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have every right. Um, I'd been a baseball writer at Sports Illustrated. I did the John Rocker story, which yep. kind of put me on the map a little bit. So I was like, I was kind of known as a baseball writer. And I'd done a lot of Mets coverage. And the Mets have a, a media relations guy, Jay Horowitz, who's sort of New York legend. He's great. And I just told him I want to write this book. And they were very open to it. I would go down to spring training. I'd interview as many guys as I could. Jay was great giving me numbers. Um, he knew I... I, I I had a soft spot for that team. It wasn't an ass kiss of that team, but it definitely was affectionately written. And um, I but just, the title, you didn't have that when you started, or you did? I mean, I, I can't, no. imagine, can't imagine you walking around with uh, the bad guys. One title. The funny thing is, my editor didn't. My editor almost changed the title. So the it was a quote from Davey Johnson, the manager, who said to me, "He at one point I was sitting with him, and he's like, uh, you know, people weren't happy we won, and I was like, why weren't they happy? He goes, because the bad guys won, and I thought." As soon as he said it, I'm like, oh, it's a great freaking title. And my editor of the book, whose name I won't name and who was a really good guy, was like, I want to name it The uh, the Bad Boys or something like The Bad Guys. Right. And I was like, we cannot change the name of this book from The Bad Guys 1 to The Bad Guys. That's a horrible, horrible. <laughs> right. That's a bad yeah. note. Bad. Yeah, really bad. <laughs> so um, I went The Bad Guys 1. So you won. And, and the John Rocker thing is, you know, there's been lots of people who've gotten in trouble for some of their their quotes, which they didn't realize. John Rocker, who was one of the best relievers in the game at the time, pitching for the Braves. Mm -hmm. And you do this interview and with, just set that up and, and how this quote comes out and what you thought when it happened live and what the quote was. Cause well, I always say, you know how like in your life you have like a money story. Like there's one story you could tell at a party for the next 30 years. Like Rocker is my money story probably for life. Um, I was a young writer at SI. I was 27 covering baseball. Tom Verducci was the main writer. I was the backup. So he would get the Yankees, i get the Mets, that kind of thing. Mets and Braves were playing in the NLCS in 1999. And um, my editor's like, this guy, John Rocker, he's having a really good year. He's kind of controversial. Why don't you do a profile on him? I went out to Shea. 
I interviewed him, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, kind of like the guy, talked to his parents, and I wrote a story. I wrote a story about how John Rocker, he seems like a douchebag, but he's actually kind of a nice guy. That was the, the thesis of my story. And um, the Braves ended up making the World Series, getting swept by the Yankees. Story never ran. It just didn't run. You're not going to run a story after the team gets swept. So my editor says, why don't you go back down to Atlanta and um, freshen it up, get more time with John Rocker. I call his agent. His agent's like, oh, it's awesome. You're going to love John. He's the best. You're going to love this guy. I fly down. He picks me up on the side of the road. This is a true story. This is like money story in life, all right? <laughs> Can I tell a slightly long story? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. He picks me up on the side of the road. And he knows I'm Jeff Perlman. I'm from Sports Illustrated. My tape recorder's out. My notepad is on my lap. Like, you do that stuff so they know. We're driving down a road, a highway. Can I curse on this podcast? Yep. Okay. You can do anything. Driving down the highway, and um, there's a person driving erratically in front of us. And he goes, fucking Asian women. They fucking can't drive. Oh, God. And I'm like, here we go. And uh, <laughs> we pass the car, and it's a white guy driving the car. We get to a toll booth, and it's one of those where you have to throw the coins in the toll booth. Old school. Old school. He throws, that doesn't exist anymore, I'm guessing. He throws them in, nothing happens. He spits, hucks a loogie, <laughs> does the old, and the hus, spits on a toll booth. The guy behind <laughs> us starts honking. He turns around, rolls down the window, turns around and goes, fuck you. <laughs> I'm literally a reporter sitting in the car. I'm like 10 recording minutes. Recording every single right, thing. Recording everything. We're driving. We're going, we're, we're going to a school for disadvantaged kids. He's giving a talk to kids at a school. <laughs> We're driving. I go to him, do you enjoy doing these things? And he's like, no, nah, I fucking hate it, but my agent, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> All on the record. All on the record. The tape Nobody prepped this guy. No. We get to the school. He's great. They play Twisted Sisters' I Want to Rock when he comes out because that was – I know we're all of the era where we know that song. I, I talked to young people. Yes. The um, kids go crazy. He's great. We're walking out. He takes the CD, puts it in his, like – back hip, and walks out. He literally stole, stole the it. CD <laughs> from, the from the school, school for disadvantaged, disadvantaged kids. <laughs> we, go, we go for lunch, all right? Now, this is the one that always, like, sticks with me, and nobody else, everyone else is like, eh, I don't. But we go for lunch. We're walking. It's a strip mall. We're going to, like, a sandwich shop. We're walking. He's in front of me, and he has a pen in his hand. And he drops the pen on the sidewalk. And I pick it up, and I say, hey, uh, you dropped your pen. And he goes, no, nah, I meant to do that. Like, think about that for a minute. I'm actually being serious. This is why nobody ever laughs at this, and I'm always, but what goes through your mind? All right, I have a pen in my hand. I'm done with this pen. Therefore, I'm just going to drop it and leave oh, it Oh, that the was his thing. I just want to litter. I'm just going to leave it here. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it on the ground for someone else to pick up because I'm John Rocker. Um, he later on, he calls a, a, a black teammate a fat monkey. He talks about how he hates foreigners. He talks about being in New York City, taking the seven train. That was the big quote that, got the, that generated the most, where he's like... Uh, it's a queer with AIDS next to blah, 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 blah. Single mom with four kids. That's disgusting. And, um, you know, he drops me off at the end of the day. And he's like, all right, man, it was good, it was good talking. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And uh, <laughs> I like, I called my mom. I remember, I'm like, because I had to talk to someone. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Like, I literally don't know what just happened. And I wrote the story. And he's thinking, like, we're two white guys hanging out. I'm sure he's thinking, we're two white guys hanging out. You know, like, yeah, this is it. what you do. This is what you do. We're white. Yeah, I'm sure he was showing off for the reporter and, like, you know, we're two white guys. And I'm like, a, I mean, you got to know your audience a little bit. <laughs> like, I'm a liberal Jewish guy from New York, yeah. like, probably not the best. Story comes out. He gets suspended, demoted, fined, 
Will Ferrell is doing him on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Like, he's a pariah. And all this stuff is recorded on the tape. 100%. Yeah, it's not like you couldn't back it up. 100% recorded. The fact checkers listened to the tape. SI was very thorough about getting everything right. Because through the years, he's like, he misquoted me. 0% true. He'll be like, we were actually having a discussion about socioeconomic. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? All right. Can I tell part two real quick? Yeah. Story comes out in uh, the last issue of 1999, Sports Illustrated. Blows up. Like, blows up. And I only did one interview. I went on Mike and the Mad Dog. That was the only interview I did um, because you let the story speak for itself. It's June. Rocker's on the Braves. He's back. He's served his time. (laughs) Um, I'm in a meeting at SI, and they decide it's Yankees-Braves interleague. We need to send a reporter. And I said, I'll go. And I said, I'll go because as a journalist, I learned very early in my career at the National Tennessee and as a cub reporter from an editor named Larry Taft. Like, you always need to be accountable. You always need to show your face. You just do. And it sucks. Like, nobody enjoys it, but you need to do it. I'll go to Atlanta. I go down to Atlanta. Braves, Yankees. I know Rockers in the clubhouse, but I have, and he has not seen me one time. I spend 98% of my time in the Yankee clubhouse. But I'm like, I know I need to at least go to the Braves clubhouse. I walk down, and I hear this voice. It says, you don't know how long I've been waiting for this. <laughs> and I look oh. up, and it's John Rocker. He's about 6'4", 220, juiced out the gills. He gets in my face. He's like, do you have any fucking idea what you did to me? Do you have any fucking idea what you did to my family? Fucking, I drove you around. And he goes, I had one moment. He goes, I fucking drove you around. I fucking blah, blah, blah. I paid for lunch. And I said, <laughs> um, actually, I paid for lunch. Well, fuck you. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm like, it's like a really awkward, uncomfortable situation because you can't do anything. I can't really do anything. I'm yeah. not going to punch him. For well, and what are you supposed to say in response to that anyway? There's nothing sorry, I can say. Bro. Right. Sorry, man. <laughs> so so um, it ends. It felt like 10 minutes. It was probably 60 seconds. This is in front of the whole team. No. This is in the hallway in front of the club. By house. yourselves? It was by ourselves. But interestingly, former Yankee Bobby Mercer, yeah, the Bobby late Bobby Mercer. Mercer, was an announcer of the Yankees at the time. He comes up to me right after, and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, you know, I'm like, no. But I've always had a warm spot for Bobby Mercer. I never really cared about because he took the time. And I went up to the press box and I'm sitting in the press box. My hands are like shaking. It was like jarring, you know? I wasn't ready for this. And um, I turn around at one point and the ES the cameras are all pointed at me. At one point I'm watching the game because they have the televised game on in the press box. And it's me looking at the televised game from the press box. Like I'm on the TV Looking you know, at yourself. Looking at myself, looking at the TV. You know, it was all, like, super weird. And um, it all sucked. I fucking hated it. I hated every moment. Did Rocker ever say, if they would have told me you were a Jew, right, I right. would have what was going to happen. <laughs> no, he did not. But he, he went on to sell uh, Speak English t-shirts. That was one of his career choices after this, so... It, it is, I mean... Obviously, he's an ignorant guy. Speak English. Speak English. But it's you hard. Can buy one. It's hard to believe, though, that you know that anyone could to have such a lack of understanding of the media, and that anyone, no matter. Again, I want everyone who's listening to this go. First of all, uh, no offense, Jeff. We're not white people. The three of us. We're not. We're we're Jewish people that a lot of people consider 
Um, you know, I always like to talk about Howard Stern, but Daniel Carver puts us at the bottom of the racial list. We can blend in, though. That's one thing. We, we can, can blend, blend in. in. So I understand that. I'm not trying sure. to I'm not trying to uh, make it another element of our sneakiness. I, I'm just not having. I'm not trying to give <laughs> empathy to our plight. Wait, just Isaac, saying, real question: yeah. Are we going to talk about taking over the world after we're off the air, or is that coming a little? <laughs> yeah. Bit? So, but I mean, but the truth is, is like we don't sit around and talk like this. And the fact that John Rocker, even 15 years ago, was willing to think that people either A, do sit around and talk like this, or B, that he could say it in front of a microphone. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. I just want to say one more thing yeah. I totally forgot about. Do you remember George Magazine? Yes, yeah. the JFK the Jr. JFK yeah. Jr. put out. About, I don't know, maybe eight months after this all happened, they did a profile of John Rocker's father, Jake Rocker, who's since deceased, and I, I harbor no ill will. But in that profile, Jake Rocker told the writer that I went with John into a store and there were a bunch of African-American employees there, and I said to John to try to bait him just a bunch of N-words doing low-paid jobs or whatever. Mm. It's the maddest I've ever been in my life. Uh, I, I called my wife immediately. I was like, am I supposed to sue this guy? Like, I've never used that word in my life. I certainly would never. And I just remember, like, that rage. You, it was the, the most mad I've ever well, been but the, the, the good news is, is that it's not on tape, and they'll never find it on tape. So, you know, and it's like Mel well, Gibson's it didn't father. It literally didn't well, happen. Well, of course it didn't happen, <laughs> right. but I'm just saying it's right. like anyone could say anything. Right. And, but that's why I say the fact that it was on tape, if it wasn't on tape, I don't even know what you, what you do then because he could just say I didn't say it. Yeah. But, he does uh, say that. I have the tape. I've just never put it out there. You it's should. like I have it. I have like a. I don't. Who cares anymore? It's thirty, you know, twenty something. You know, but it is. It is interesting because I think even now the racists in the sports world, whoever they may be, usually you would think try to try to calm themselves. Although last year there were some many athletes that said some anti-Semitic stuff that you know, in in ignorance, I guess, and and they had a they got away with it. I mean, what do you, what do you think about? Well, just that? the other day, Anthony Edwards of the Timberwolves, yeah, made some. Uh, Anti-Gaysler. Well, think. he was videotaping some some gay men outside a thing and said some stuff. So, I, I guess you know ignorance is always going to be there, and I guess it is better ignorance when they do it on camera or on the microphone because they they you realize that's just how they live and what they think. You don't know? you also think a little bit, a little bit like Anthony Edwards is probably twenty two years old, yeah. right? I don't know his background. I don't know where. I know it's from Georgia. Blah blah blah. Like, <clears throat> I think we also to a certain degree need to allow people to make mistakes. Yeah. Like if John Rocker had turned around and said, you know what? I, I'm I'm so disgusted with myself. I can't I'm, believe I sound like that. I can't believe that. I'm really blah, blah, blah. I think people would have cut the guy a break. Yeah. And so I think I. Anthony Edwards, if he's like, you know what? That was really stupid of me. I like, think he was, did, right? I don't yeah. know if he did, but if he does, yeah. to me, like, you're 22 years old, probably sheltered as a kid to a yep. certain degree. Like, people are allowed to make mistakes. For sure. So. So I want to talk about now. I th- I, I guess... Tell me if I'm wrong, but as a writer, do you dream of it turning into a movie or a TV show? Is that something that you always hope happened? Because you wrote Showtime, which is based on the Lakers dynasty, uh, Magic Years, Kareem. Um, Now it's winning time. And now it's winning time on HBO. And so you get that call, which is, um, how is that? I mean, mean, who called you, Adam? (laughs) No. So it was, I mean, first of all, as you guys know, and as I hear you talk about it, like everything takes a million years in this business. I had a screenwriter named Jim Hecht, a wonderful, wonderful guy, come to my house in 2014 and ask if he could option the book and tell me why he loved it. He showed up at my house, no joke, with a, on Easter Sunday, we're both Jews, so no big deal, <laughs> with a block of chocolate, a large tomato, and a bottle of imitation wine drink, not wine, imitation wine drink. 
And he comes to my house, and my wife sees what this guy has brought. And she's like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, I don't know. But he wants to. And he sits with us for dinner, and he's lovely. And I made a really stupid rookie mistake. I gave it to him for free. I said, just shop it around. And you really, something I learned, I mean, it worked out great. If you, if you place your place of value of zero on your material, that's how people evaluate. Mm-hmm. You could just say it's not worth anything. You know, it's just not, it's a bad idea in this business. But um, I never, he would update me. There was always something, but then nothing, something, nothing. I never believed it would happen, never. And then he's like, you know, uh, HBO wants to option it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> and I signed some papers, but I didn't, still nothing. And then he said, Adam McKay wants to meet us. Adam McKay wants to meet with us at his house. And I didn't know who Adam McKay was. Hmm. I had no idea, literally no idea. And I Google him and I'm like, whoa, holy shit, Adam McKay. And I went to his house with Jim Hecht. He was great. He's a heavy basketball fan. We talked at length. I still didn't think it would happen. I just didn't. Like I've heard so many stories over the years from people like you yeah. where it's like it just doesn't happen. And I had books optioned before and it never came to anything. And then one day I'm like at home reading like Variety. Someone sent me a link. It's not right. like I read it. Variety.com. And it's like, I don't know who it was. Adrian Brody agrees to appear in an HBO series based on Laker book. And I'm like, that's me. That's me. And it just, then there was Sally Field and Gabby Hoffman and John C. Riley, And all of a sudden, you know, I, one day I said to my wife, this is when I was like, all right, a woman has agreed to appear. She's going to appear in my show. You can make the argument. She's a big, she's one of the two biggest living female actresses, female actors out there. Who is it? And she said, Meryl Streep. And I said, no. And she said, Sally Field. And I said, yes. And she was like, holy fuck. And here we sit. So did they ever, I don't know if you watched The Offer, which was uh, about the making of The Godfather. Uh-huh. It's great. You should watch. It's like 10 episodes Have about you seen The, the Godfather? <laughs> so, um, no. <laughs> I'm the worst. Yeah, go ahead. You've seen The Godfather. No. You've never seen the movie The Godfather? No. Didn't you see his face when I said it? No, I've I mean, never seen The Godfather. Movie? You know what it is. Yeah, I know what it is. <laughs> You've never He's seen familiar with it. Never saw Godfather, never saw Caddyshack. What, what's wrong with What you? the hell? I didn't know who Adam McKay was because I'd live in a freaking bubble. Because you write books, because you work instead I of work. fucking watching other people work. My That's favorite movie is The Cable Reel. Is that bad? No, no. It's, a, it's a funny movie, Cold but classic. I think Caddyshack's better. I think yeah. The Godfather is certainly better than both. <laughs> but, uh, and, and the offer is just the behind the scenes of it. Mario Puzo wrote The Godfather. At first, he said, I want to write the screenplay. I can do it in like three weeks. And then, you know, he had a meltdown and was like, I can't write, I can't write this. Did you ever think about, I want to write the screenplay? Did they ever even allow you to contemplate you would write the screenplay? No, but I never, I never wanted to. Um, I, uh, I'm not just saying this. I would not, I would say nothing. They've been incredibly kind and generous. Like Adam, Kevin Messick, those guys, Max Bornstein, Jim mm-hmm. Like, number one, I read every script. They've asked my insight a million different things. Is this right? Is that right? I talked to Kevin Messick probably five times a week. You know, do we get this right? Did we, well, my wife, my kids were in the pilot episode. Right. I was in so it. It's been an amazing experience. There was a moment. I mean, I'm just like, for you, it's like old hat. Like, no, it's not. All right. I, but I, I can't saying, even work right now. They won't even let me work. Well, I'm a pilot is sitting there. I need, I'm gonna, I need you to call Adam McKay. <laughs> I need you to call Adam <laughs> McKay for me. I, wait, I actually, I, I do want to say, like, when I hear you on the show, like, I wouldn't have understood it before. Like, I just wouldn't have understood it. And the industry is so maddening. Like, you're not understating. You're not overstating that. It yeah. is so freaking maddening. Yeah. And you wonder what is wrong with you people. And, like, uh, it's just... It, be, it, it beats you down, and it is tough to get 
things going. And when you do get someone like Adam McKay, who happens to be Jeremy Piven's brother-in-law, by the way, but oh, yeah. but it, really, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and if you remember that um, that viral one of the first viral videos, the landlord with the little girl who's. Uh, Give me my fucking money yeah. with Will Farrell. That, that Adam McKay did that, and that's uh, funny that's, or die, right? Yeah, yeah that that, that's Jeremy's niece. Um, so I, I don't oh know where God. she is now, but she was great, Pearl. <laughs> but, um, but 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 anyway, it's it's a very tough business. And then sometimes a writer puts however much time you did into Winning Time, which is a great book, which I haven't read in a while, but I did read it. And then they turn it into something else. But you're happy with the result. You feel close. Yeah, people are like, "Oh, are you happy about this? Are you happy about that? Does that piss you?" I'm like. They took my book, <laughs> they turned it into an HBO show. I get regular checks. My family was in it. I took the moment for me. So there was a, a premiere, right? Obviously, it was a premiere. And my wife was out of town, unfortunately, but my kids came with me. And my, my daughter's a college freshman. My son's now a sophomore, a junior in high school. And we go to this premiere. And like, it sounds dumb, but like, there's, there's like, cigars with winning time on it. <laughs> and I wrote the book that this is based on. And we're, and there was a point during the screening, right before the screening, they screened the first episode and Adam McKay stood up and he's like, Jeff Perlman, stand up. Jeff Perlman's one of the great sports writers in America. I'm like, someone videotaped it. The anguish on my face at that moment yeah. is, is real. Like it's, that's humiliating for me. <laughs> but it was also one of the great, my kids are sitting there yeah, how proud this, they oh, are of their father, but, right? But, but the truth is, and I'm serious, you are. And you've uh, one of, been one of those guys that, that has stood out to me for the last 15 years, and I think you should be doing more um, of this type of stuff and on television because uh, you're, great, you're great at that. I want to do I mean, TV. I hate TV. You're good. You were good. You used to do I like shows writing. all the time. I really like writing. Oh, what fucking asshole. What year did you? Why do you like writing? What, what is <laughs> I like researching. <laughs> you know, I had a great debate. Max Bornstein is the, the writer on the show, and he's very talented and very good. And one night we were out. I don't know why I was feeling feisty. I was like annoyed at something. I'm like, my job's harder than yours. And we had this debate. It was a good debate about like what's harder, writing a book or writing a TV show. Oh god. No 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 comparison. TV show? Book. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um book is very hard and the fact that you're able to, to research it and bring it all together yeah I, I couldn't even imagine. But go ahead. Oh no, it was a good discussion. I thought he made some really good points actually. Yeah. <laughs> because I like writing dialogue is freaking hard and like I I'm I'm actually like everyone in LA like Working on my first screenplay. I got paid a little money to do it. I'm doing it with a friend of mine named John Wertheim, who I came up with at SI. And we're doing it about a, uh, it's about a school shooting uh, and, and that takes place at school, and we're doing the screenplay. It's so freaking hard. I mean, I got a couple of questions about that, but, yeah. di you know, and, and it depends what kind of writer you are. Dialogue, fortunately for me, comes natural. Story is the hard thing to really figure out stories. So if you have a, a, a map from a book, sometimes that can obviously make it easy. But um, wh where do you come up with doing a, a show about a school shooting? It's just a, it's a movie. So um, a movie. we're doing it for, uh, so CNN started a, like, production studio. And they wanted someone, they wanted to do a, a movie, you know, school of gun violence in America is obviously an issue. Gun schools is obviously an issue. And they wanted uh, someone to do it. And they reached out to my friend John, who's also, he's a correspondent for 60 Minutes, one of the best. And he's, he came to me and he's like, why don't we try doing this together? And um, we take these, t these days and we sit. He'll be in his apartment in New York. I'll be here in California. And it's, I love working with him. He's one of my closest friends. But it's. The, I actually agree with you. The storytelling is harder than the dialogue. And dialogue's hard. But it's like, where is this thing going? Yeah. Where am I going? And also, like, constructing scenes. Like, when I write a book, there's a linear component to it that's very obvious. Mm -hmm. 
Bo Jackson is from Alabama. He went to Auburn. He played for the Royals. You know, that thing. Here, it's like little scene, Anywhere. little scene, little scene, little scene. They're not connected to each other, but they have to overlap at the same time. I mean, I have much respect for you. I just think yeah. it's really hard. Well, that doesn't do anything for me, but thank you. <laughs> but, so uh, did you ever see the Gus Van Zandt movie, which I'm blanking on the name about, which doesn't have a word. I don't believe it has a word of dialogue in it. It is chilling about a school shooting. And it's, I, I, I think oh, it was, yes. Yeah, I think it was yes. inspired by Columbine, but it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a devastating movie. I don't think anyone talks, if I remember. I haven't seen it in a long time, and I'm blanking on the name of it. So I got still something on a couple of things on Winning Time because Great. when I grew up... Um, I was obsessed with magic. It's all I wanted to be was Magic Johnson, Julie Serving, whatever. It didn't work out. No, it did, it did not, not work out. out on so many levels. So, <laughs> so, but there were a couple of things that I don't remember in the book that are in the show. And are is this accurate? Did did Nixon beat Magic Johnson in a one on one in front of a? This no, it's not possible. This is not human. possible <laughs> didn't happen right no it did not okay happen. so i i mean when i'm watching it and one of the things that's amazing about the show is the casting is like if you told me i remember hard it was to cast vince and entourage if you tell me go find magic johnson the kid's amazing even though he can't go left that's clear and obvious in the, in the thing but <laughs> um and the second thing was there was nothing debatable about magic being the choice of the Lakers, was there? I mean, there was... No oh, no, you're wrong. Really? Yeah, there was. So um, Jerry West was hardcore Sidney Moncrief. What? Yep. Sidney Moncrief. Wait, to be Sydney clear... Moncrief is great. Sydney Moncrief is great. He is, but he's not Magic Johnson. That is well, correct. But nobody's I, Magic Here's the thing, and this was West's concern at the time. There had never been a 6'9 point guard. And his main concern, which I actually, if you think about it, is logical. You have all these tiny little water bug guards, yeah. like Norm Nixon, yeah. right? And you have this guy who's going to dribble it super high. How exactly is that going to work <laughs> in the NBA? And um, Moncrief, you put Moncrief in a backcourt with Norm Nixon, Jamal Wilkes at small forward, Kareem at center. I'm not sure that team doesn't win a title. Too. I, I agree. Mm -hmm. I just, I really didn't remember that. I was like, this, there was really a debate yep. about whether we draft Magic yeah, or not. Yeah, very much you so. Know? so. Interestingly, Moncrief didn't go second in that draft. David Greenwood did. Yeah. So still, I mean, it's still, the show's great. And the casting, I, like I said, for the acting-wise, it's amazing. And to be able to find that they could play basketball also, I think, would be an impossible <laughs> impossible task. But what what's next? You got the screenplay. Is this something you want to now pursue besides this screenplay? Or have you got the bug to torture yourself like I do every day? Well, I mean, I'm really into writing books. Like, I just, I, I am. I love the research. I love the digging. I love, like, I love finding things. You know, I love... I love, I can't say what my next book is on. I can tell you off thing, but I, I, my publisher would kill me. But like, <laughs> I just drove the other day, well, last month, eight hours just to get a yearbook and then drove home. And I love that stuff. Like, I love going through a yearbook, a high school yearbook, and finding every person in the yearbook and saying, hey, do you remember this person? Hey, do you remember this person? Hey, do you remember this? Now I just text. It's easier. And um, I love that stuff. It's it's awesome. And, and for every writer out there, have the passion that Jeff does because um, I don't. But <laughs> well, but it's it's almost like you're reconstructing history, right? Like you're you're almost literally trying to reach back and and then figure out how to make it live in real time and relevant again. Yeah, and like I like I always say, I wonder if this is the same in, in your industry. Like to me, it's about taking the little things and expanding on it. Like I always tell, I teach journalism at Chapman, just adjunct, and like I always say, like if you're doing a story on Mike Trout, it's not that interesting that he has 28 home runs. It's interesting that behind him. In his locker, 
I'm making this up. There's a baseball card of Claudel Washington. Yeah. Well, why do you have that card? Oh, Claudel when I was a kid, blah, blah. You like that? Yeah, I do like that. When I was a kid, Claudel Washington blah, came to my third grade class. And all of a sudden, you have this whole thing about Mike Trout and Claudel Washington. And I love taking the little. I love finding little things about Bo Jackson or the 86 Mets or whoever and expanding on it and finding the meaning of it. And, and I, you know, you say in our industry, is it similar? You know, that depends on the writer. For me, we were just talking about this with Rob Weiss last week on the show. And for me, the details are everything. Like, the plot is, it's not irrelevant, but the details and the small details in character are the things that fascinate me. Small detail, I can tell you. Keith Hernandez came down to New Orleans when I was a freshman there, and I was dating a girl, and Keith, I don't know what happened because I wasn't in the room, but Keith uh, ended up in the room with, with her roommate. And uh, I, uh, it was a rainy New Orleans what night. What year is this? This is, uh, I don't want to say the wrong year because I don't know if he was married. I have oh, okay. no idea, right. and I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But Let's just say I, late 80s. I guess you he was not up, married when he was in New York. Let's say. just say I graduated too late in 90. But um, his jeans were in the dryer because it was so rainy, and, and I stole them. Wow. I still really? <laughs> you still have them? But you know what? I don't still have them, which is so stupid. But uh, <laughs> I, I stole them. And when they did the Seinfeld episode, where you know Elaine goes, "Who does this guy think he is?" and Keith inside I'm his Keith own head goes, "Yeah, it's just it's it's genius." So, but for me, the the tiny details are, of course, what makes it fascinating or it makes a character interesting. And I've gotten to meet you know some of my heroes who have had major problems in their lives, from Lawrence Taylor. Doc Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, and, you know, it's easy to judge, you know, and, um, but the tragedy is, is they had talents that I think both of us wish that we would have had, but they, a lot of that got away because maybe their mind or maybe their childhood or whatever it was just couldn't allow them to get to the potential that they should have reached. Because Doc Gooden, I mean, I was a Yankee fan, but Doc Gooden made me go, I can't root against the Mets. All I want to do is watch this guy, and I want to see how he dominates everybody. And it was really, you know, it was, what, one incredible year, maybe yeah. two? Uh, 80, and people think it was 86. It was actually 85. Yeah. It was an incredible year. In 86, he was already using drugs, and he was good, but not great. So sad. And you couldn't not want to watch that game and just watch Doc Gooden. But anyway, Jeff, you really are. You're awesome, and uh, your process is is you're lucky that you do love it because I think uh, a lot... But you know what? You love, hate everything. I mean, what I mean is, like, if you love something, you hate it. Like, uh, I don't mean to drop it. Like, I do, I do, I think it's an important point. Like, I do love it, right? But it's fucking torture. Yeah. So I love it, but it's torture. Like, I don't love making 50 phone calls over and over again, but it's the only... How else do you do it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't you feel that way? Like, you love something, but it's not like you love everything about it. I love when I'm done. Yeah. And it's, it's, listen, it's the curse of my existence with this. Cause a lot of times I read stuff that I've written. I'm like, fuck, you are good. Just go do it again. And yeah. then the next day it's almost like it's gone. Whereas if you're, you know, and I say this like in sports, if you could score the, the ball, there's nothing to talk about. You can do that, but you write a script and whoever it is, whether it's him or you reading my script every day, it's a new thing and nothing you've done before has any relevance to it. And I don't believe that you can always throw 102 down the pipe, you know, as a writer. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. So I, I guess my long and short is I would have preferred to have Magic Johnson skills than whatever mine are if I could. You'd be richer. But, but yeah, I would be richer and, you know, but... I just want to say the famous quote from Dorothy Parker is, I hate writing, I love having written. Exactly. And, and, and I, I sadly live that life. But uh, that, that being said, I'm going to be writing until late into the night because I'm writing and he loved my last script. So now I feel, uh, I feel good about that. So anyway, Jeff Perlman, uh, check out... All his books are really awesome. And, uh, How many I'm, have you written for uh, our audience? Bo Jackson is 10. 
The tenth book. Yeah. Can you get? Can you rattle, rattle them off for us? Yeah, I think so. All right, <laughs> let's hear them. Bad Guys One was first. Nice. Love Me, Hate Me, Barry Bonds and the Making of an Antihero was number two. Boys Will Be Boys about the Dallas Cowboys in the 1990s was number three. Uh, number four, my worst book, The Rocket That Fell to Earth about <laughs> Roger Clemens. Um, number five was Sweetness about Walter Payton. Number six was Showtime, which became Winning Time. Number seven was Gunslinger about Brett Favre, who I can't stand. <laughs> number eight was a book about the USFL, the, the league that Trump ruined. Number nine was Three Ring Circus, and number 10 is Bo Jackson, Last Folk Hero, which comes out in October. Why do you hate that book, Clemens? You know, hate might be too strong. He's just not that interesting. Like, Walter Payton for his flaws, or Barry Bonds for their flaws, were introspective. Um, And Clemens, I always say, if you took a brainwave of Roger Clemens and you could put in words, it would be baseball, breasts, food, (laughs) sleep, Baseball. Karaoke. Food. Karaoke. <laughs> Minnie McCready. Do you remember Minnie McCready, his allegedly 15-year-old country singing girlfriend? I sort of do. Yeah. Uh, he says he, she, he wasn't dating her. So it's I just got this, this one time. Uh, I'll just go off on a side <laughs> tangent about I get invited to the Yankee game, and it's great. It doesn't matter what people say. This happened, and you think people – although someone did drop a cell phone in the middle of a game. You see that a few weeks ago? Uh, he stole, he slid into oh, third yeah. base on a steal, and his yeah. cell phone yeah, went out. That was anyway, actually funny. Anyway, I hate, to, I hate to rat this out, but the fact of the matter is Derek Jeter had a cell phone during the game because what happened is, what happened is I get invited to the game by some guy who claims, like, he's taking me and Jerry, who played Turtle on Entourage, come to the game, and you're going uh, to the Yankees party after. You're going to be treated like a king and all of this stuff. Jerry and I go to the game. We're at Anaheim, and um, Derek, is in, uh, Derek Jeter is in the on-deck circle, and these guys start screaming, Derek, we're with Turtle from Entourage, Derek, you know, and they're screaming, and we're like, they told basically the guy told us he's good friends with Derek, and we're going to the party after this. So now we're being humiliated in this game. We're like, yo, bro, shut the fuck up, like, don't worry about it. We don't like it's not that big a deal. Keeps yelling this and that. Anyway, somehow Jeter contacts Kevin Connolly, who's in New York during the game, wow. and Connolly calls me and goes. Get away from that guy. You gotta lose that guy no matter what you do. So after the game ends, the guy's like, You guys know about the party? And we're like, No, you were supposed to take us to the party. But anyway, we're tired. We're gonna leave. We find out the details of the party. We ditched this guy. And that's when I, I got to the Yankees uh, party. And Clemens was running the karaoke machine. And uh, was he good? He, yeah, he was all right. He was yeah. all right. I mean, it was fun. And Jorge Posada, it was very cool because Jorge Posada saw Jerry and was like, oh, Entourage, I love it. Don't tell me anything about it. I like to watch it live. And that, that was obviously <laughs> cool for me. He was a yeah. big Yankee fan. But but Derek somehow uh, contacted Connolly mid-game and, and got us away from that guy. So it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so, it's amazing. So, But anyway, Jeff Perlman, check out all his books. Check out uh, Winning Time on HBO. And uh, we'll catch up again soon. Remember that?